Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. In today's journey through history, we're going to explore the life of Cy Oliver. That's right, Melvin James Cy Oliver. He was born December 17th, 1910, and he passed away in May of 1988. He was an American jazz arranger, trumpeter, composer, singer, and band leader during the 1930s and the 1940s. And he came from Southwest Michigan. So come along and join me. So in today's episode, I'm going to be referencing a book written by Sonia and Sean Hollins called Here I Stand. And this is the 20th anniversary edition of this incredible book. And it covers black music history from Battle Creek and parts of Southwest Michigan. And it is an amazing collection of stories of some amazing individuals that started their careers or played a good portion of their early careers here in Southwest Michigan. A lot of them came from Battle Creek, and it's a rich and amazing history. The Hollands do an incredible job. They interviewed many of the people that they did biographies on in this book, as well as many of their family members for those that passed away. And it is just a wonderful collection and an amazing history. So I highly recommend you get a copy of this book. It's called Here I Stand, and I will put a link to how you can get a copy in the show note descriptions. So throughout the Depression, the music kept toes tapping in the grandest of nightclubs and the creakiest of juke joints. Despite the nation's problems, music was a way to provide an escape. As people began to have fun again, dance, and enjoy life, music developed a new life of its own. Swing. The music led to a dance craze called the jitterbug. The dance required plenty of room for legs to swing and men to fling their female partners high in the air, hands tightly locked only to return her back down and between his legs and around the neck or waist. Those dancing could truly get into a rhythm with the blare of the trumpets and the rumble of drums, which were signature to the big band sound. One of the songs that had dancers hitting the floor was Yes Indeed. What many in Battle Creek may not have known was that the man responsible for arranging and composing that hot number was one of their own, Melvin James Cy Oliver. Oliver was born in Battle Creek on December 17, 1910, to Melvin and Alice Oliver. His father was a waiter, possibly at the Post Tavern, and his mother a housewife. They left the city and moved to Zanesville, Ohio, when Oliver was a young child. His parents were music teachers and active members of their church as choir director and organ players. They wanted him to learn the piano. His interests, however, were in sports, but his father felt that sports could not help his son as he grew older and was persistent in teaching young Oliver to play the trumpet. And also doing a little research on my own, I did learn that his father was also a multi-instrumentalist who demonstrated saxophones at a time when the instrument was seldom played other than by marching bands. So his father was way ahead of his time in terms of his 
skill in the saxophone as well as his uh, talent with a lot of different musical instruments, which is probably why he was a music teacher. When Oliver was just 17 years old, his father passed away. As the eldest of five children, he used his talent at that point as a trumpet player to help his family, and he got a job with a band led by Zach White. Now, while in the band, he also doubled as a drummer. However, he still dreamed of becoming a lawyer. He constantly read books to keep his mind sharp for the day he hoped to return to school. It was during that time that White gave Oliver a nickname that he would keep for life. The story goes that White asked Oliver why he read so much. Was it that he wanted to become a doctor? And Oliver replied jokingly, yes, a psychologist. And White began calling him Psy for short. Oliver soon began to arrange and compose compositions for the band. And it was during this time that his ears perked while listening to Jimmy Lunsford in his band rehearsing in Cincinnati. When it came to showmanship, Lunsford's band topped all others. They not only played to tantalize the ear, but they entertained the eye, and Oliver wanted to be part of it. Their elaborate routines included a synchronized throwing up of the horns in the air, while saxophone players charged off stage to beat, and the trombone section did their own little routine, sliding their horns from left to right, and the musicians pretended to outdo the other sections and had laughs and humorous dialogue in between. Oliver wrote several arrangements and presented them to Lunsford. Without hesitation, he was accepted to the band as an arranger and a musician in 1933. Oliver was so excited to be part of that band that he composed some of his greatest hits for $2.50 per arrangement. With Oliver's musical genius and their dynamic stage presence, Jimmy's band performed hits that became synonymous with the big band era. Such songs were Stop It Off, Dream of You, Swanee River, The Dancers Only, Twaint What You Do, and Ain't She Sweet. They all had the dance halls swinging all over the world. The life was exciting to Oliver, but as time went on, the vigorous tour schedules began to wear on him. It wasn't unusual for the band to perform 200 one-nighters a year. They could easily work in theaters 15 to 20 weeks out of the year and be in one location four weeks straight. If lucky, they got two weeks of vacation sprinkled somewhere in between when they were traveling for more than 40,000 miles a year. Oliver and other members of the band respected Lunsford. He was a leader who led by example. Because of that, the band members dealt with the long hours of highly intense performances night after night. Lunsford's strict leadership and tight schedules began to wear thin on Oliver, however, and he wanted to do more composing and arranging in one place as opposed to juggling this craft that he had with the constant travel schedule. By this time, radio had become the medium for actors and musicians to share their craft with thousands of listeners at once. Colored bands were hardly if ever featured on radio programs, unlike their white counterparts who achieved instant success through the airwaves. It was during this time that Lunsford's band began to break racial barriers in music. In New York, Oliver said music was divided into from above 110th Street and below 110th Street, one for Negro audiences and one for white audiences. However, once Lunsford's band's 
received regular airplay from the Cotton Club, where they performed. Colored music became popular across the color line. Despite the success, Oliver needed more. I'd grown tired of traveling, Oliver said. I felt I was going out of the world backwards. I wanted to stay in New York and study and write. But Lunsford didn't want me to go until he could find another trumpet player to take my place. He kept me in the band until I just quit one night. And then I found out that he had Gerald Wilson waiting in New York all that time, ready to come in as soon as I cut out. For Tommy Dorsey, Oliver's expertise was just what he needed. In 1935, Dorsey walked off the bandstand of the Glen Island Casino. He was leaving the Dorsey band, which he led with his brother Jimmy. At the same time, Benny Goodwin's orchestra was one of their most fierce competitors. And Tommy would need an arranger just as good as Goodman's Fletcher Henderson, and Oliver fit the bill. For Dorsey's band, Oliver was the arranger, an occasional vocalist, and trumpet player. He created such hits for the band as Easy Does It, Opus One, Sunny Side of the Street, and Yes Indeed. Hits created by Oliver and other Dorsey composers led him to become known as the Sentimental Gentleman of Swing. Oliver was extremely busy in 1943. He led a band while stationed in the Army and was orchestrator on the Hollywood films as Dewberry Was a Lady, 1943, Girl Crazy, 1943, and Broadway Rhythm, 1944. After his military service, Oliver left Dorsey's band. In 1946, he created his own band, endorsed by Dorsey. Oliver merged into what would become his claim to fame. He became musical director for such record labels as Decca, where he arranged music for such vocal greats as Frank Sinatra, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, and Bing Crosby. The Jimmy Lunsford band continued to travel, however, and the hectic schedule soon caught up with the band leader. Lunsford died of a heart attack in 1947 while on tour. In the book Here I Stand, they give a quote by Cy Oliver of what happened the night that he signed with Tommy Dorsey. He says, It happened one night at Brighton Beach in Brooklyn. I'd given my notice to Jimmy Lunsford and Bobby Burns. Tommy Dorsey's manager was out there and said, Come on in and talk with Tommy. So he drove me into the hotel and we went up to Tommy's room. I remember he was shaving and turned to me and said, Cy, whatever you're making, playing, and writing for Jimmy, I'll pay you $5,000 more a year. And I said, sold. And that was it. So from that point on, Oliver became one of the first African-Americans with a prominent role in a white band when he joined up with Tommy Dorsey. And Fletcher Henderson, another African-American composer and arranger, had joined the Betty Goodman Orchestra as the arranger a few years earlier. And Oliver led the transition of the Dorsey Band from Dixieland jazz to the modern era of big band. And his joining was instrumental in Dorsey luring several jazz players, including Buddy Rich, to his band. And his arrangement on the sunny side of the street was a big hit for Dorsey in 1946, as were his other compositions, as I mentioned before, Yes Indeed, which was sort of a gospel jazz tune that was later recorded by Ray Charles, and Opus One, originally titled as Opus Number One. And another song that was popular was The Miner Is Mugging and Well Get It. 
Now, when he left Dorsey and began working for DECA, which is DECA Records, the DECA Records was a British record label that was established in 1929 by Edward Lewis. And the U.S. label was established in late 1934 by Lewis. Now, in 1937, Edward Lewis, anticipating the Nazi aggression that was leading to World War II, he sold the American DECA. And the link between the UK and the US DECA labels was broken for several decades. The British label was renowned for its development of recording methods, while the American company developed the concept of cast albums in the musical genre. Both wings are now part of the Universal Music Group today. The US DECA label became the MCA Records, which formed half of what is now the Universal Music Group. And the name DECA dates back to the portable gramophone called the DECA Dulcophone that was patented in 1914 by musical instrument makers Barnett, Samuel, and Sons. The name DECA was coined by Wilfred Samuel by merging the word Mecca with the initial D of their logo, Dulcet, or their trademark, Dulcophone. So that's how the name DECA came into being. So Cy Oliver was doing arranging and recordings for DECA records. By the 1950s, Cy Oliver had his own orchestra, and he did some recording with Louis Armstrong, as well as Frank Sinatra, uh, doing some arrangements for him on Frank Sinatra's album in 1961, which was the album's name was I Remember Tommy, a combined tribute to their former boss, Tommy Dorsey. In 1974, Cy Oliver began a nightly gig with a small band at the Rainbow Room in New York. And he continued that gig until 1984, with occasionally taking time off to make festival or other dates, including the Roseland Ballroom in New York. And he officially retired from performing publicly in 1984. And he passed away in New York City at the age of 77. On May 28, 1988. Another artist that he did some arranging and conducting for uh, with Decca Records and later Capitol Records was Peggy Lee. And one of the songs, Miss Wonderful and Dream Street, were a few of the songs that received a lot of national praise during the time of their release. Peggy Lee's real name was Norma Dolores Eggstrom. And What's interesting, uh, as a personal story, is I actually spoke with Peggy Lee in 1999 or 2000, and I was working for in a call-in center for some company, and she actually called requesting some information about something. And I chatted with her for a little bit, and she kept telling me her name was Peggy Lee. I said, don't you know who I am? And then she told me, you know, her name, Norma Eggstrom and all that, and I said, ma'am, I don't know who Peggy Lee is. I was so naive. I didn't connect with what she was talking about. And she said, well, yeah, I was a a film actress and a musician and a performer and all of this. And, you know, and we talked for probably well over an hour. And um, she had said that she was going to come down to the office of the place I was working at. and, And she never did show. And I found out that she passed away a year later in 2002, or probably just a few months later after I spoke with her um, at the age of 81. So that was just my little personal connection with Peggy Lee, uh, the brief crossing of paths here in Michigan many, many, many years ago. 
And she was a, quite an interesting lady. She was telling me all these stories. And at first, you know, I didn't believe who she was and what she was telling me once I figured out who Peggy Lee was when she was uh, telling me who she, her story and her, and her films and things like that. Um, but some of her films were the movie The Jazz Singer in 1952 and also uh, Pete Kelly's Blues in 1955 where she played an alcoholic blues singer. But she was most known for her recording songs, and she had been nominated for 13 Grammy Awards in her time. And she won a Grammy in 1969 for her hit, uh, Is That All There Is?, and also for a Best Contemporary Vocal Performance. And she won the 1995 Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award as well. So quite an outstanding woman. And it's kind of interesting that Cy Oliver did some recording and composing for her uh, in her early career, which was uh, another Michigan connection. And she was originally from North Dakota. That was where she was born. But when Cy Oliver died, the New York Times, through the Associated Press, described Cy Oliver as being the big band era's most influential and imitated arrangers during his time period. So he was an incredible jazz composer and arranger from big band era, and his fame as a trumpeter and vocalist with the Jimmy Lunsford band from 1933 to 1939. And it made mention of all of his hits, Sunny Side of the Street, My Blue Heaven was another one, and Ain't She Sweet, as I mentioned earlier, were among some of his most acclaimed hits and arrangements and the ones that he arranged for Tommy Dorsey from 1939 through the late 1940s used a little bit more of a powerful two-beat style with many of those song titles I've already mentioned earlier in this episode. Yes, Indeed, For Dancers Only, Dream of You, Swing High, Easy Does It, Opus One, and so many other ones. And for the decade or so that he worked with Decca Records, he not only did freelance arranging for Frank Sinatra and Peggy Lee, but some of the other names that he also did work for was Ethel Merman, Sammy Davis Jr., the Andrews Sisters, the Mill Brothers, uh, Bing Crosby, and of course, Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald, which I mentioned, as well as uh, Joe Stafford. And so a lot of famous names from that musical era, he had a hand in doing the arranging for or directing as a musical director for them. So quite an amazing guy. And he grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, here in southwest Michigan. And when we created the History Education Center, the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, and did a ribbon cutting on it earlier this year in 2023, there is a wall on the backside of that room that we dedicated to the musical legacy of Battle Creek. And it has a lot of famous faces on there, and Cy Oliver is one of them. So his story is a very important part of the era of Battle Creek's music history alongside Junior Walker and the All-Stars, Dale Shannon, and so many other interesting and famous people that uh, passed through Battle Creek, including Betty Hutton and Wade Flemons and a few other ones that are uh, probably known to a lot of people like Jackie and Johnny and so forth. So a lot of great people came through Battle Creek and started their uh, musical careers either in town in Battle Creek or were just born here. So, And there's other famous musicians that were born and 
lived their lives, early part of their lives in Southwest Michigan. And I hope to carry some more of their stories as well in the future. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. And I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing a little bit about Cy Oliver and the big band era. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a review or rating on whatever app that you are listening on. Most of my audience is listening on the Apple app. I can see that when I look at my statistics. The next is Spotify. So take some time and leave a rating or review on that app. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. And just as a special treat to close out this episode, this music that you've been hearing is Mr. Wonderful by Cy Oliver and his orchestra. And the woman singing is Peggy Lee. Mr. Wonderful, that's you. And why this longing to know your charms, to spend forever here in your arms? Oh, there's much more I could say. But the words keep slipping away And I'm left with only one point of view Mr. Wonderful